It's not a good video. Amen. I really like the stuff uh, Moving Works shared with this video because it's so powerful. And uh, really, I, I think what strikes me so uh, intensely in this video is uh, the ability of, of this woman to hear and see what God was calling her to and where he was calling her to serve, right? To have the vision to hear and to know. Is this bothering you? Cheers, man. <laughs> to, to hear and to know uh, what God was calling her to. And really, I think that she didn't even know that there was gonna be a harvest in the jail but she heard what God said and she saw where God was calling her to. She had the vision to see and then she was able to see the harvest come in. And as a church, you know, really our prayer, we've been talking through having a heart for the harvest. And my encouragement is there is a specific way that you and I can see, hear, and know where God is calling us to. And I wanna talk about that this morning because I think when we watch a video like that, we think, man, that sounds great but we also can really identify with her wrestling through, what am I actually gonna do, right? She says, Lord, I'm getting old as if he doesn't know, but to wrestle through, if you're gonna see the harvest, then you gotta do something special because you gotta have the harvest vision. So this morning, I wanna talk a little bit about harvest vision, having a vision for the harvest and opening our vision to the harvest. Uh, would you do this with me? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Let's pray together. We're gonna ask the Lord just to open our hearts. So God, we thank you that we could join here together to worship you, to praise you. We thank you that you are doing a new work here. God, I pray you would continue that as we look into your word and that you would really soften our hearts, God, to what you're sharing, Lord, that this would be your word speaking to our heart, not the words of man, but the words of God through your holy Bible. God, would you speak to us in your name, amen. Has anyone here ever experienced a tunnel vision? Has anyone ever experienced this where uh, your vision, tunnel vision is where your vision becomes so narrowed in on one specific thing that your mind actually blocks out anything else surrounding it, right? Tunnel, tunnel vision is where stress in a situation is so great that all the other things uh, your mind literally blacks them out and you see your vision is like pinpointed in on one thing to the point where when I was reading about tunnel vision, even your hearing will tune out everything except for one thing. So parents get this when their kid is in trouble, right? Like if a parent sees their kid uh, drowning, right, they will just focus in everything else. Like all peripheral vision is gone because they're focused in on the one thing. All they hear is the one thing. All they see is the one thing. And so they get tunnel vision in the, into this one thing. And I was reading about when they train uh, people who respond to accidents is to train them against tunnel vision because what will happen is the intensity, the stress, the chaos, chaos of the situation will focus someone into an accident and so they'll go towards the accident and they won't see anything else and they'll get blindsided by something, right? So they'll be so focused in because of the chaos of the situation that they don't see something else and they get blindsided. Can anyone else identify with this in your life where you have been in such an intense situation that your focus has been so narrowed down and all of a sudden you get blindsided by something you, could, you just didn't see 
Everyone else, for some reason, saw it, it's, and they all tell you, like, yeah, how did you not see this? Like, how did you not see this coming in your life? And they treat you like it was so obvious. But in our lives, we can get so focused in on something because of the stress of life that we become blindsided by something or we miss something. And I think tunnel vision, uh, really, it narrows our perspective. And in narrowing our perspective, uh, we, we miss things. And for us, it's not necessarily always an accident or a crisis. Sometimes it's the general stress of the world, right? Like bills have to get paid, kids have to get picked up, things have to get done at work, employees have to be managed, bills have to be paid. I feel like the older I get, it's like there's a ratio of I get less hair and more bills. That's like, there's like a chart graph and hair goes like this and bills go like this. And that's, that feels like it in life sometimes is the reality of life. It's like when you, then I had a kid and bills like, I thought I knew bills. Then I had a kid and it was like, it was chaos. And then I started running a small business like this and I just realized what bills really are. Uh, is that it, it's the chaos of life. And in the chaos of life, the stress that comes with it, it narrows our perspective. And what happens is just like in our body and our mind, when we narrow our perspective, we not only see one thing, but we hear one thing. And for some of us, we're walking in the middle of our harvest or we're walking in the middle of where God has called us, but we can't really see it. And we can't really hear the voice of God calling us to it because we have narrowed our perspective when we have tunnel vision. And so Jesus knows this about us as people. And so what he does is he gives us a way to, to take our narrow perspective and broaden it and go from tunnel vision to harvest vision. To say, I know, and Christ is empathetic towards us being messy people because he knows. To say, I know you have the stress of the world, so I'm going to give you a way to go from tunnel vision to harvest vision so you can see that all that I have called you to see, all that I have called you to, and to hear everything I'm trying to tell you, to hear everything I'm trying to speak into you. And so I'm going to share with you this morning the way that we do that. How do we expand our perspective? It's one word, serve. Serving is the way, it is the way that Jesus taught to expand our perspective to see the harvest, to erase our tunnel vision. It doesn't say we're not focused, it doesn't remove the stress, but it expands our perspective so that we can see all that we're called to see and hear all that we're called to hear. And last week we talked about Jesus, you know, really encouraging us, stirring us to have a heart for the harvest. And I really believe that God is calling uh, this church to have a heart for the harvest and to see a harvest like we have not seen in Scottsdale. But it's not gonna happen if we miss the harvest. If we're so narrowed in, you know, I meet with people and they say like, I don't know why I didn't see this coming. And it's because everything in our life has so narrowed us in that we missed it. Not only do we miss the things that blindside us, we miss the good things, the harvest. And there's no such thing as a partial harvest. You can't get it to the doorsteps of the barn. If you don't get it in, if you don't get it all the way in, it's not a harvest. And so I wanna encourage us to open our eyes to what God is doing so that we don't miss it. It would be a shame to be the most equipped to reach the world and the least capable of doing it. And so serving is how we go from tunnel vision to harvest vision. 
If you brought your Bibles, can you open them this morning to John chapter 13? This is one of my favorite scriptures, and I, I think whether you have heard it one time or a hundred times, I hope that God will soften your heart and begin to speak new things. The great thing about the Bible is you could start reading it as soon as you could read and stop reading it as soon as you physically lack the capacity to read, and you would still not have run out of things to discover in it. So I wanna read it this morning, and I just encourage you to read it with fresh eyes, and if maybe if this is the first time reading it, just read it with an open heart. And let's, I'm gonna read it out loud. You can follow along, the words are on the screen. And it goes like this, John chapter 13, starting in verse one. It says this, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's a great line. It says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied in classic Simon Peter style, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Then Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. So he throws a little shade. And that was why he was not, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Then he says, do you understand what I have done for you. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. One of my favorite lines in the scripture, do you understand what I have done for you? That's a whole nother message. But really our response uh, to this and this scripture is I believe that there's three things that God is calling us to gain a better perspective on to change us from tunnel vision to harvest vision. When I mean tunnel vision, I mean focused in on what we have going on and focused in on the stress of the world and focused in on all these things that are happening in the day-to-day and -day the, the work and all of this stuff that we miss harvest. That's what I mean, tunnel vision. And so I believe that God is, and Jesus is showing through an example, three perspectives that we gain that expand our understanding to harvest vision. And the very first one is a perspective on power. If you're taking notes, perspective on power. If you've ever eaten it like a big meal or if you've ever gone out with people to a big meal, then you know when there's a long table, and I know the picture says they all ate on the same side, but come on, be real people. Uh, they, they went around it. So uh, there was the, 
there was a, a long table, let's say you were gonna go to Boss Pizza or something after, and you sat down, you'd kinda do some mental math. If the person, like let's say it's their birthday, you might wanna be closer to the person whose birthday it is, depending on how introverted or extroverted you are. And you might not wanna be all the way at the end, because what if like between you and the birthday person is like people that are like friends and they have the same stories and you have none of the same stories, so you're just odd man out, right? There's always a little bit of maneuvering when it comes to large dinner. And the same has always been true because people are always the same. And that as they're coming in for this dinner that we read about, there's jostling for an important place. Because at the time, the closer you are to the host, the, the more it says about your position, about your power, about who you are. It says something about who you are. And so each uh, disciple is trying to strategically align themselves. And I think a lot of this has to do with at the time, Jesus is talking a lot about his death, that he's leaving. So they're kind of figuring like, all right, who's up? Who's up next? So there's this attitude that's existing of a struggle for power. It's interesting if we read in Luke chapter 22, uh, we see that sometime, and it's not incredibly clear, but sometime around this this night, around this dinner, there's actually an argument that breaks out. And I wanna read it because I think it gives us context of the attitude of Christ in response to what's happening here. So Luke uh, 22, 24 through 27 says this, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. This is the disciples. Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. So Jesus is saying in, in your world and what you're arguing, the one at the table is the greatest, but the one who serves is the least. So what does that say about me? That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples as he's washing their feet. He's saying, so you're saying you're the greatest because you're at the table and the least is on the floor and I'm on the floor. So what are you trying to say? And so Jesus responds to this because he recognizes something that's in the disciples and it is all of us, is that we do not do great with power. A little bit of power, you give someone a little bit of power and they will abuse it to the umpteenth degree, right? Having a toddler really showed me this, is that the more freedom, power, authority that a toddler has, they, they rarely take that power and then think like, I'm gonna give that to someone else and just serve them, right? They think like cookies, like they are singularly motivated by what they can get and what is theirs. And so what happens is for us is that as we begin to seek for the power, authority, time, ownership, all of these things for us, we like to use it on us. Nobody gives us more liberties than we do. Right, And so he sees this in his disciples and he says, listen, what's happening is as you're so focused in on what you can get, what you can do with what you have, that you have narrowed your perspective and you're gonna miss the harvest. So Jesus responds as the example. What I love about Jesus is he doesn't just talk it, he walks it. And so Jesus, it says, verse three, right? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things in his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What does that mean right there? Because I think that's important. 
That doesn't mean that Jesus was in agony about what was gonna happen. We've already seen that. So the writer isn't re-stressing something that he's already stressed, that Jesus was agonizing um, uh, about going to the cross. What it's basically saying is that Jesus knew his earthly mission was almost complete. He knows he's gonna return to the Father. He knows that everything had been given to him by the Father. And so in that moment, Jesus kind of knows everything is as it should be. And so therefore, he is in complete control. So in a simpler way, basically, Jesus now realizes or is not in, is in the full living realization of being the CEO of the kingdom of heaven. Right, he has an immense power. And so in the moment when he is the CEO, he chooses to go from CEO to slave. His, his response to saying, I recognize that it's all in control and in power is to say, look at these guys fighting for power. I'm gonna go from CEO to slave. And it says in uh, Philippians 2, the perspective of Jesus, because Jesus wants to change our perspective on power. And I wanna read this. This is the perspective of Jesus Christ on power, right here. Christ, who being in the very nature of God, who is God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being a found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, while the disciples fought for a seat at the table, while the disciples argued who is gonna be the greatest among them, remembering that among them is a betrayer, among them is a denier, right? Among them is a doubter. While all those people argued about who is gonna be the greatest, the CEO of the kingdom of heaven steps down as a slave and, and begins this moment of washing feet to reject the idea of the power of the world and step into the idea of the power of the kingdom because he had a perspective that was greater than that of the disciples. And so we, we struggle with the same thing. I struggle with the same thing. My human nature tells me that it's my job to be the God of my own life, right? I am the God, I am on the throne of my time. The time I have is for me and I will use it as I, the God, seem fit. That's what my human nature tells me, right? My money is mine, I use it as I desire. And so I get angsty about giving it away. That's what the human nature inside of us says, right? My power is mine, my authority is mine, my freedom is mine. Don't, don't hold me back because I wanna do what I wanna do because I am the God of my life. And God who was actually God steps down from CEO to slave and goes all the way to the cross and says, really? That's not how power works in the kingdom. See, if we focus on doing what we wanna do with what we have, we're gonna miss what God wants to do with what he has given. And the world defines greatness so counter to Christ. And this morning, I wanna say that serving is how we readjust that perspective. And that daily, can I tell you church, daily you're gonna wrestle with this, I wrestle with this. We wake up daily and we wrestle with holding on in this tight little narrow perspective of what we have and what we worked hard for. Because I mean, I work hard, I worked hard for it and I hold on so tight and my pers perspective is so small and I almost have my eyes closed and there's this harvest going 
going on and I miss it because I, I, I wanna hold on to what I think power is. And the God of almighty power, almighty God, who was f- Jesus, who was fully man, fully God, he says, listen, if you would serve, you would open your perspective. You would see how small this power is and you would open your perspective to the power of the kingdom of God and you would walk in an even greater power. You think that the small amount you have is great, a drop of the kingdom of heaven is greater than that and you could walk in the fullness of the harvest. But in order to do that, we have to serve like Jesus served because when we serve, it takes us off the throne and it puts Jesus on the throne and it says, I, just like Jesus stepped down, I stepped down. That step down happens in our brain because we can't actually step down because we don't actually have power. Uh, but for us, we say, as I serve, God is gonna expand our perspective. So I wanna tell you this morning, if you have felt the overwhelming burden uh, of time and, and you're like, I don't know, and you feel like you hold those things close and you're not sure if you're gonna let them go, then I'm gonna tell you this morning, serve and God will expand your vision, if you're holding on to that, can I tell you, there is a harvest in your life and God says, I wanna bring you through it, but you gotta expand your vision. Matthew 20, 25 through 27, I love this, but uh, in 26 it says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Serving is how we readjust, expand our perspective on power. The second thing this morning is a perspective on grace. I think this is one of the funniest things that happens in the scripture because I think Peter is just so much. Is that Peter spots Jesus coming down the line washing feet. Because it's not like a quick dunk and move. Like washing feet, I mean, it takes a second. So Peter sees him coming down the line. And I don't know how far Peter is, uh, you know, an in-depth Bible scholar. I feel like Chandler would know this. <laughs> Chandler knows, yeah. Like how far down the line he was. Uh, is, is It gets to Peter and Peter looks at Jesus and he says, not a chance. And it comes across as humble in this. But really what he's telling Jesus is, Jesus, you don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you guys have ever done this to Jesus. I've done this before and said, God, do you really know what you're doing right now? Right? Like, let me tell you what you should be doing in my life. But he says to Jesus, basically, uh, uh, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like he just did, the, did all the others and he's going to skip Peter. But he says, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And Peter rejects him, but eventually Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter's basically like, fine, you know what? If you're gonna wash my feet, then just dunk me. Wash my hands, wash my head. Let's get ceremonial in here. Like, let's, let's just wash everything. And Jesus is kind of trying to bring him back down because there's an important language distinction that's happening here that I wanna share because it lends to grace is that there's two words that are happening here. There's the word uh, nipto, uh, N-I-P-T-W, or whatever the Greek words are for that is, and then luo. So nipto is a word to describe the washing of the hands and the face, right? It's like, uh, it would be like, hey, go wash your hands for dinner, right? Like it's that thinking, like you daily, your hands get dirty, or you go to the bathroom and your hands get dirty, please wash your hands after you go to the bathroom, this is 2018. Like, you know, like after you, you know, you do these things, you wash your hands. It was considered a daily thing. It was like, you get dirty, you wash your hands. Then there was a different word, luo, 
which meant to thoroughly and entirely bathe or clean the body. This is like cleaning the totality of oneself. These are two words that are happening here. And I think it's important because it's not just bathing and washing, it's a, a daily washing, a consistent thing that has to happen and, and understanding that that's a part of life. And then there's the intense washing that happens where it's like the cleaning the entireness of yourself. And so in the scripture, Jesus here in verse 10 says, those who have a bath, who've had a bath, who have bathed, need only to wash their feet, the whole body is clean. So he's saying basically those who have been completely washed, those who have been washed in their complete total being need only to be washed in this daily sense. Scripturally, this is what this means because I think it's important. When Jesus forgives our sins, he washes us completely. When you take your sin and you lay it at the foot of the cross and you say, God, I've had enough of being the God of myself. I need a savior and you lay it down. He washes you. You don't need to be re-nipto, um, the complete washed again. Does that make sense this morning, church? Right? We don't need that complete washing again. Right? Romans 8, 1 through 2, it says, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you, the power of sin that leads to death, right? And so that cleans you and cleans you totally. But since we're human, right, and we sin, we know that there needs to be a daily washing, right? Daily we have to go before the Lord and seek forgiveness. And I love 1 John 1, 8 through 9, because it says, if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. See, because we're human, we'll sin, and so God needs to wash us daily. So what Jesus is teaching Peter is, listen, you have been totally forgiven, but I understand that you're messy, and so daily you're gonna have to wash feet not only meaning daily I need to receive the grace of God, but daily I need to give the grace of God. Daily I need to give forgiveness. Because, see, the mission of Christ, it's fueled by love, but it's founded in grace. And there's this idea here that daily I have to go back and receive the grace of God, and daily I have to give the grace of God. Right, that's why Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Right, it's to say daily I have to go and get grace and, and go and bring all my junk and I'm trying not to, but I mess up because I'm broken and I go and I receive it, but then I can't turn around and spur the messy person next to me, amen? That I need to have grace for them as well. I think this is why serving is so important. Because I think serving puts us in the perspective of grace. Because serving says, I understand not only that I am messy, but that other people are messy. And I understand not only the grace I have received, but the grace they have received. And so I am not a limiter. I'm not a dam of grace for other people. That as I get it, I also give it. And so serving and washing the feet, Jesus is on his knees and he's saying, Daily, here's what I want you to do. I want you to encounter mess, and I want you to wash it. I want you to forgive it. I want you to wash it away and give grace. He's not saying daily, I want you to encounter clean feet. 
and, and work with that because they don't bug you and they don't mess with you and they're not that person at work that drives you crazy. They're saying daily, that person at work that makes you wanna jump out a window, that person, you gotta wash their feet. You gotta give them grace because as it turns out, you had to get your feet washed today. Amen. And so serving is what brings us to this point of bringing us back to the perspective of grace. Because it's not just sheer human will that will bring us to a point of grace, it's serving. Because if I said, just go be gracious this week, that's gonna last you to Monday, maybe. I have a toddler, so that's gonna last me to this afternoon. <laughs> it's not gonna last you very long. What lasts, what makes it last is serving. And so what happens is if we do not serve, our perspective on grace becomes narrowed. Our perspective on grace in the church, our perspective on giving grace in our family, our perspective on giving grace in our, in our work, it becomes narrowed. And often we don't even give grace to ourselves. We don't even receive it, let alone give forgiveness to others. And we begin, we're in the middle of a harvest, but we're just walking through bitterness. And our perspective is so closed and our perspective is so tight. And Jesus is saying, listen, you have received the grace through salvation. You don't need to hold on to your sin. And then daily, you don't need to hold on to unforgiveness. Let that go. And how you let that go is you don't take the posture of higher up, you take the posture of lower down and you serve. My wife and I have this deal in our relationship that we will never mention to each other the D word, divorce, right? Like no matter how messy it gets, we're not gonna mention that, right? Agreed. I, know, I was just double checking. She wasn't agreeing and I was like, oh, <laughs> apparently, apparently that expired. Uh, <laughs> But I think that that's important and I wish that I could make this same deal with every person in the church, that we are messy and you are really gonna tick someone off in this church one day because we're messy, we're working hard. We talked about working the harvest and I wish I could just say in our relationships because we are brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God that we will not divorce from one another because things get messy. We will just serve one another and we will look at our feet that have been washed by Christ and we will look at the messy person next to us and instead of kicking them out the door, instead of saying, I just can't deal with dirty, broken church people, people that are, are messed up and don't do what I think they should do in the church, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get down and I'm gonna serve. And as I serve, God's gonna expand my perspective. And we're gonna change from a church of divorced relationships to real relationships, to served relationships, because our vision won't be so narrow that these people are bothering us and we're getting blindsided. Our vision will be great. We will go from vision to harvest vision. And I want to say this morning, if you struggle with unforgiveness, this is going to sound corny, but I'm telling you, if you serve as Jesus served, he will release you from that. I believe that. Because I believe that serving opens your perspective on grace. If you feel like you need a lot of grace, if you're like you're one of those people like, man, I hope people have grace for me, then serving is perfect for you. That's why it's perfect for me. I need a lot of grace. If you struggle to give grace, then serving is perfect for you. I wanna say this morning, don't rob yourself of the fullness of the grace of God because you're not serving as Jesus served. Don't, don't steal that from yourself. Don't steal that from the church. The third thing this morning is a perspective on purpose. I'm gonna invite the band up this morning just because I love how good you sound. <laughs> 
but a perspective on purpose. Here's the thing about purpose. Uh, I think looking for purpose either drives you or it drives you mad. One of the two, depending on the kind of person, it either really propels you, it drives you, or it absolutely drives you crazy. People talking about purpose all the time. Purpose, purpose, purpose. And I have meeting after meeting with people, especially young people, really searching uh, for purpose. But the reality is we're all looking in some shape for purpose. And when people tell me they need purpose in life, like, what has God called me to? What has he really called me to? And we're just kind of like driving, like, maybe it's work. And I'll just like really dig into here. And I don't know, that didn't really do what I thought. Or maybe it's this. And I'll go over here and I'll focus on this. Is we miss it. And so I tell people, why don't you go to scripture and see where God, see where Jesus has commissioned people to do something and just do that, right? Go to where Jesus has commissioned you. and do those things. And this is what I say in verse 14. It says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is what I love is that when Jesus, in giving us a purpose, our purpose is to do what Christ did, but what did he do? He served, and more importantly, I think he served the unseen. Not just unseen people, but unseen things. I think that word unseen is really important because it's the capacity that he served in that's crucial. Let me just explain. Jesus was the host of this meal, meaning it was his job to have had a servant come in and wash the feet. It was his job to take care of that part, but it didn't get taken care of. And so what happened is a lot of disciples, a lot of servants of God all came in and sat around a table and this would have been a common practice. So they all would have been waiting for it to happen. They all would have been sitting around waiting for someone to come around and wash feet. How embarrassed and how shook do you think they were when Jesus was the one who came around and washed their feet? What was that moment like when they were waiting for a slave, a servant, and here comes Jesus Christ washing their feet? And I feel like I've felt this in myself that sometimes I get so caught in my tunnel vision of, of the things I have to do and the things I have to take care of and the busyness of my life that I miss a greater perspective on purpose. And I see this all the time, church, is that we assume the unseen are seen by someone else. There are unseen areas of service and unseen people in every area of your life. There's unseen things in your home. There's unseen things in your relationships. There's unseen people at your work. There's unseen things in this church. Who do you think comes in here and straightens these chairs? It's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's a person who sees the unseen and serves like Jesus. I, that's who I learned it from, to see the unseen. Can I tell you, church, that is a church that has a heart for the harvest. It says our purpose 
is not to be narrowed in on all the things that I believe I'm supposed to do. It's to go to scripture and say, what did Jesus say to do? He said to do what he did. What did he do? Okay, well, let's go back a little bit. Oh my gosh, he served the unseen. Are there unseen things in this church? Are there unseen things in your life? You know, this video, I, I love it because she drives by the jail and she's driven by it a lot and she kind of just has this moment of like, oh yeah, there's, there's actually people in here and there's all these unseen people behind a wall and I didn't even know. And she uses that scripture out of Matthew, which is so powerful, right? That which you do for the least of these, you do for me. And I think about it in my life, who are the unseen, what are the unseen least of these that I might walk by if I have narrowed my perspective and I do not have harvest vision? Can I tell you, there is a whole level of unseen behind this wall. You could go to this church for a year and a half and not see the ministry of the Holy Spirit that's happening right behind this wall in kids' ministry. There is a ministry for the future generation. We love to complain about them on Facebook. We very rarely like to get down on our hands and knees and teach them, but they're right here and they're the unseen. And God is saying to a church, if we would open our perspectives to the unseen, right? Who's living right around here? Are they unseen or are they seen? And will we serve? What area of ministry has my wife cried out a hundred times for people to be involved with because it's valuable? but it's unseen. And I'm young enough and dumb enough to, I guess, be bold enough to say, I refuse to be a part of a harvest that misses what Jesus cared so much about, which is the unseen. And can I tell you, church, if you wanna get out of this perspective, if you wanna get out of the, this, this way of living, this just kind of nose down and, and singular focus and getting blindsided and missing the harvest and wondering why you're not hearing God. You're like, God, I, I don't understand why I can't hear you. And he's like, well, you're not even listening because you have tunnel visioned in. And what he's saying is if you begin to adjust your perspective on purpose and ask yourself, what purpose does this day, does this week, does this hour of my life have? You will begin to open it up and say, what did Jesus do? He served the unseen. I'm called to serve the unseen. And I wanna invite you, church, there is a whole slew of unseen things that we can serve together, not only in this building. See, I can't help you in your home. I can't like follow you to your house, Doug, and like, you know, help you serve Gail. I mean, you do a great job, so it's fine anyway. She's nodding, it's good. I can't follow you to your work. I can't follow you to these places. Here's what I can give you opportunity here. I can encourage you for those places. I can equip you here and tell you at this church, if we are really gonna bring in the harvest, then we need a church that has a heart for the harvest and has harvest vision. It says, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna serve. Jesus never envisioned a church where 20% of the people served. He never envisioned that. He never imagined that. He imagined, I went to the cross for these people and I was nailed and I died and I defeated death, hell and the grave and I rose again. Surely they could love a toddler in the nursery. Surely they could bring food to those who are going hungry. A quarter of our city goes home hungry every night. Like surely, right? Like we could, we could do that. That's what he saw. And I see the same thing and I believe that. And so I wanna tell you this morning, there is opportunity. If you're saying, I wanna expand my perspective